Hi, I'm Mark Rodman. Coming up on Front Row, Trump-backed candidates dominate the GOP primary in Ohio. A national opioid settlement means money for North Carolina, and the U.S. Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Donna King, editor-in-chief of Carolina Journal, broadcast journalist Jonah Kaplan, political analyst Joe Stewart, and Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation. Mitch, Trump-backed candidates had a big night this week in Ohio. The big story is the hotly contested Republican primary for the U.S. Senate race like North Carolina. This is an open seat because of retirement. J.D. Vance is the author of Hillbilly Elegy and has been in the, the news and the public consciousness for a while, but he had never run for office before, and Ohioans had not elected a U.S. Senator who had never run for office before for more than 100 years. And going into this race, a hotly contested race, multiple candidates, some with big political backgrounds, Vance had been trailing. In some polls before the big uh, endorsement that you're talking about, he was down by about five points to Josh Mandel. Donald Trump, the former president, endorses J.D. Vance. Entrepreneur Peter Thiel throws in millions of dollars. $15 million. Dollars. Millions of dollars for the Vance campaign. And it turns out that that ended up helping him. He gets 32% of the vote in this multi-candidate race, wins by eight points, a big victory for Donald Trump. It's not just that race, though, also in congressional races. Max Miller in the 7th District, Madison Gessiato Gilbert in the 13th District. Most of Donald Trump's candidates in Ohio, they are successful. And the Trump team is saying if you look across the country right now, their record in these primary races, 55 and 0. So that's something that he's really touting at this point. Joe, you questioned the 55 and 0, right? By the way, the club for growth was in that race too for Mandel. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, 55 and 0, they're certainly bull eligible. I guess I give them that. But I think it's easy to overstate that a single factor makes a difference in an election. In this regard, interestingly enough for me, Trump endorsed Vance, but Vance has been critical of the president in the past. It appears Donald Trump is becoming a little more sophisticated and savvy about how this game of politics is and actually how they played. And he said, even, uh, even in his endorsement of Vance, the, uh, President Trump said, but it's a good field. They're all good candidates, but I'm getting behind Vance. So to some extent, I think it's without question, Donald Trump had cast a very long shadow over the Republican Party these days. But Trump himself, I think, is becoming a better, more sophisticated, more savvy political operative in his own behalf. And we'll see how that plays out for the rest of the primary season. Donna, will Trump-backed candidates play well in a general election, you think? Well, that's a big Suburban question women? for us. I think that's the big question for us, because as we, you know, Tip O'Neill, all politics is local. So we're really seeing a, a 
few candidates across North Carolina performing pretty well. Ted Budd's a good example in the Senate race. He seems to be performing pretty well with that endorsement. But the big key is in North Carolina, our largest single chunk of voters are unaffiliated. Now, in Ohio, there was a really high turnout of GOP, can GOP voters. Here, we have so many unaffiliated. The question is, is are they going to grab a Republican ballot? Are they going to grab a Democrat ballot? And which way will they break? Will those unaffiliated voters, could they uh, break for a Trump in Trump endorsed candidate or could they uh, go the other way if they're not happy, if they are dis you know, disenchanted a bit with the Democrat, uh, with the, Dem the way Democrats are running the country and the state right now. But there's also candidates in the 13th uh, across the state that have that Trump endorsement. Jonah, do you think if Bud wins, there's a power shift in the Republican Party here in North Carolina? There very well might be. I mean, there's no question that I was looking at kind of a collection of polls dating all the way back to January and then last year. I mean, McCrory was polling at 50, 51 percent, and Bud was maybe in the 20s, and it's just flip-flopped now. Uh, I mean, Bud is not nearly at that 50 percent mark, but it certainly shows, I mean, here was a guy that had never run for statewide office, uh, not well-known outside of his district, and now he's the front-runner for this. But whether the statewide election, I mean, that's going to be the big indicator for all of these races. Yes, it's significant that it shows these primaries. President Trump does have command. That is now the establishment of the Republican Party. But let's not forget that Donald Trump, he's never won a popular vote in the nation. So do these candidates win statewide elections? Will they win over well, independence? Well, one of your points, I think it was a big loss in Ohio for the establishment. But I want to come right back to you and talk to you about the national opioid settlement that uh, A.G. Stein helped negotiate. Well, this has been something in the works for many years, and especially here in North Carolina, where we have uh, many rural uh, and, and farm communities that have been decimated by access to opioids, to fentanyl, to addiction crisis. And what happens is when you have these small counties, rural counties that don't have much in the uh, health care, ambulances, law enforcement, and they're devoting so many resources to treating overdoses, answering these overdose calls, hospitals, almost like COVID, what is which it, are $750 million? So I'm saying that yeah. they wanted to recoup money for right. these losses. So North Carolina was awarded $750 million as part of a $26 billion settlement with McKesson, Cardinal, and Johnson & Johnson, some of the uh, distributors for these drugs. The big question, though, is where is this money going to go? County governments are going to be reimbursed. But then there's a question of should they go to religious-based treatment facilities, treatment programs? Should they be government-run, private? There's a lot of money coming in, and obviously it's for a good cause. But who's going to be in charge of it? Uh, but the attorney general obviously very proud of getting that cash for some much needed relief to these local governments. Donna, can we really get a handle on this uh, epidemic when all the fentanyl is flowing in this country? I think that that is the big question. We're seeing a tremendous amount, and it's not, you know, these fentanyl poisonings are happening uh, in part because they're ending up in uh, more common illegal street drugs uh, where perhaps a buyer buying them illegally doesn't know they're in there. Uh, the big question about this particular amount of money, it's something that the attorney general uh, focused on, is accountability, tracking, knowing how it's spent, because some of that is blowback left over from the Golden Leaf Foundation in the tobacco settlement. There's been audits recently saying that it wasn't well tracked, that they 
They don't know where it went. They don't know how it was spent. And there's not a lot of feedback on how that money was handled. So the attorney general says that's not going to happen again this time. But that's something that the state really needs to be watching closely to make sure this money really does mean something. Mitch, accountability is key. Yeah, that's certainly true. And the fact that the attorney general is talking about transparency and accountability is a big thing. It's also helpful to see that a lot of this money is going directly to counties. We have seen in the past with that tobacco settlement, with the hog farm deal, that a lot of this money ended up in what critics called slush funds that these elected officials that in Raleigh. funds, in, I mean, it was in, really bad. Yeah, that, uh, elected officials in Raleigh got to dole out to, right. their, to their favorite candidates. In this case, about 15 percent of the money is controlled by the state. State, but the rest of it goes to the counties, which will open up its own set of issues. But at least it's not the case that one politician is going to be using this to try to uh, uh, enhance his own political career. Joe. Yeah, Jonah makes an important point here. And a large part of the epidemic was really in rural America. And in part, it was people self-medicating for depression that came about as a result of a lack of economic opportunities, sort of a general deprivation of, of, uh, of what they had with the resources locally, and they felt sad. They were disappointed about their own prospects, and they became depressed and self-treated. Some part of this is an opportunity for the state to build out a better mental health system to make sure people who are legitimately challenged with just a sense of frustration and disappointment bo borne by economic deprivation, that they have access to resources so that they can treat that mental health condition and not necessarily fall prey to the self-medication of some narcotic. Okay, wrap this up in about 40 seconds, my friend, if you can. Well, and again, the reason for the settlement, the reason that these drug companies are in trouble is because this pill was overprescribed. And so, again, when you don't have access to adequate health care, whether it's back pain, headaches, whatever, they're just, they were throwing opioids at people. Here's your, here's your narcotic, and that's how they built this kind of addiction. And so getting off of that, that's going to take time, and it's going to take money. Donna, I want to talk to you about the big controversy in Washington, and that's a leaked Supreme Court opinion. Yes, this really dominated the news this week. Uh, earlier this week, there were multiple leaks, the biggest one coming uh, through the someone, they, th they believe, at the U.S. Supreme Court, leaked an early draft of an opinion that was written by Justice Alito, it leaked it to Politico, uh, that indicated the court is prepared to uh, take Roe versus Wade, overturn it, but move those decision rights, that that those decisions over abortion, uh, any kind of regulations, legality, all of it, move that decision right to the states rather so than... have to vote on it. Uh, well, they would have, they still have to vote on it. That means right. that you're correct. That draft does not mean that this has already happened. Uh, but what this draft indicates is that they're well, willing to move those requirements, move that that lawmaking uh, to the states individually. This has set off a firestorm, political firestorm. It may have been one of the reasons it was leaked, but uh, right here, right at the beginning of the primaries, uh, we're seeing uh, protests across the country at the Supreme Court, and it appears that over the weekend, uh, perhaps at the homes of the justices on Mother's Day. John, is the court becoming too politicized? Undoubtedly, and I think that's part of the reason also people can't say, well, was this a liberal person, a clerk that wanted to expose this to try and drum up political pressure? Was this a conservative clerk who wanted to make sure there's going to be five votes for this? Maybe if one of the conservative justices was kind of waning on this. And why does everything have to be extremes? You either have to say the leak was bad, but you can't say that the opinion might have been bad. You can't jeopardize at once. And, and you can't say, well, it's either all abortions are legal or none of them are legal. Where is the middle ground, the pragmatism where most Americans are? But Mitch, this is unprecedented, this leak. 
Yeah, it certainly is. And one of the things that people who don't follow the Supreme Court closely don't realize is all we really know about this is that Justice Alito, back in February, circulated a draft that he thought he could get five votes for that would overturn Roe v. Wade. We don't know what's happened since then. There may have been others who said, I agree with this piece of your opinion. I don't agree with this. You're going to have to rewrite this. There may have been a lot happening between February and now that would have changed the ultimate outcome. And well, that's the problem. Opinion, do you think it'll move some of the justices off that type of opinion? I don't think the, the leak. Pressure. I don't think the leak of this opinion changes anyone who was going to go with the opinion. Right. The problem is we don't know how many of the justices were going to go with what Alito wanted. He thought he could get five votes for what he put forward, but we might already. They might already know behind the scenes that they don't have five votes for that. Joe. Yeah, the, the interesting factor in this now is how, and Donna alluded to this, when, when the leak came about, it instantaneously politicized the issue in the context of this as an election year. Uh, Democrats in Washington, many of, whom, many of whom were saying they felt like this would help energize base Democratic voters to turn out in what is all, by all accounts and purposes, looking to shape up like a very big red wave election. Does it, in your opinion? Well, I, I think I mean, is it a ba base motivator for Democrats, but isn't it a base motivator for Republicans as well, abortion? I think that's an excellent point. And the question is, among the Democratic performance voters, people that consistently vote for Democrats and consistently vote in elections, are they not already pretty likely to turn out in this election cycle? Is an issue really going to galvanize voters that were already planning to go? The question is, for the voters that don't feel energized, does it become an issue above things like the economy, national security, and even still the response to the pandemic? I, time will tell. I don't think it's likely as an issue in the context of the election to become a So you don't think it will be a definer in the election? Inflation will still trump it, correct? I, I think economic issues will remain the dominant issue in this election cycle. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, depending on what the actual decision is, we're going to know in June what the decision is, whether that was accurate, whether they might have moved on from that. So it's tough to even gauge how much of an impact this is going to have in November. Wrap this up in about but, 40 seconds. But then we have the primaries before, which is totally, completely true. It may really motivate the more progressive wing or the more conservative wing. It really is, uh, uh, in each primary, who are they trying to bring out? But I, but I, but again, I do think it's going to come down to inflation. It's going to be come down to, can you hire the people to run your business? All of those pocketbook Kitchen table, table issues. issues. Those, those are the big ones, but the biggest damage that we're seeing is to the court itself. Uh, the, the court, the judiciary relies very heavily on a good working relationship, regardless of people's political views on the on the bench, being able to work together and work work in confidentiality. That has been damaged permanently. Okay, I want to talk about a Meredith College poll. Very interesting poll this week, Joe. Fill yeah, us in. In, in. in many regards, it mirrored what we're seeing in other public opinion survey around this time. President Biden underwater in terms of popularity here in North Carolina by about 14 percentage points, even while Democratic Governor Roy Cooper seems to be doing okay in terms of popularity, uh, the, the president is going to be a drag on Democrats running for office this cycle, I think, not just in North Carolina, across the country. His popularity, despite some of the things he's doing now uh, that people find favor with, the re reaction to Ukraine is an example, his overall popularity is still suffering. A generic U.S. congressional uh, matchup where they ask the question, irrespective of the candidates, do you plan to vote for the Democrat or Republican in congressional races? Republicans doing better, 44 
34% to 38% of the generic ballot, a key sign that this red wave is real in North Carolina. Does that track with other polls you've seen? I've seen, I've seen in most generic Bigger ballots spread. in North Carolina, Republicans are doing better, and that generally is a bellwether for Republicans doing well in the fall. Uh, I think that's a key indicator. On some key issues, the Meredith College poll, the issue of a hands-free bill to uh, enact to do challenge the distracted driving peril, we have 80% supported that. Expanding Medicaid, 70% supported that. Uh, making marijuana legal for recreational or medical purposes, 60% supported that. And to the issue of abortion, a little over half of the respondents said they would like to see something done in state law to codify Roe v. Wade. So we see on the abortion issue, voters are pretty equally divided in terms of their feelings one way or the other on that topic. Mitch, what struck you about this poll? I like the fact that uh, we see something that's going to be a big issue again on Medicaid expansion, where uh, Joe mentioned 71% support for it, but the polling always is a little bit skewed toward Medicaid expansion because people think, oh, hey, everyone should have medical care. When you add in right. more questions about the fact that this is mostly for able-bodied, uh, jobless, uh, adult, childless adults, the weeds. and the fact that you can't have any kind of work requirement, the, the percentage of support drops and drops again. Right. And I think the other thing that was interesting to me is the 61% support for medical marijuana, I think really helps that push that we're gonna see in the state Senate where the uh, rules chairman, one of the most powerful people in that chamber is the sponsor of the bill for medical marijuana. I think they'll definitely be looking at that. Johnny, your thoughts, my friend. It just shows, I think, where voters are in terms of, again, their pragmatism, their middle ground, that about the 50 percent with, with abortion, just going back to this issue. Mitch, I would say you're right with those follow-up questions. If people say, do you want a blanket ban on abortion, people would say no. Do you want a blanket, uh, all abortions are legal, people would say no. They don't want extremes. They want people to come together and find some sort of gray, some sort of middle ground. And that's indicative of this poll, that most people agree on some sort of balance. Where that balance is, it's very tough when you're voting for extremes in primaries, and then those are your choices in the general election. Donna. That's absolutely true. The more people learn about an issue, the more the numbers change. Um, one of the things that really struck me about this particular poll was that 47% said that they would support a law similar to Florida's about uh, you know, requiring kids to be over fourth grade or so before they start learning about any sort of uh, you know, sexual reproductive or gender identity kind of issues. Um, that's important, and I think we're also seeing that some of the priorities going into the legislative session, which starts the 18th, we're not too far away, they're going to be looking at a parent's bill of rights, they're going to be looking at Medicaid expansion, academic transparency. All of the, this poll is showing that North Carolinians are on on pace with what the legislature is going to be talking about this session. Okay, great wrap. Most underreported story of the week, though. Okay, let's see what we got. Mine is uh, <laughs> a Guilford County uh, commissioner commission candidate says is accusing Guilford County of using taxpayer dollars to promote as opposed to just educate voters in Guilford County about a bond, a school bond. Uh, it is not illegal for them to educate voters using taxpayer money, but they can't advocate, they can't promote a school bond, and that's that seems to be happening according to these accusations in Guilford County. Jonah, underreported, my friend. It continues to be underreported about the negotiations with Iran and this deal, potential re-entering uh, a deal between Iran and the world powers, but the U.S. Senate, two bipartisan votes, basically showing the resounding opposition to the Biden administration's potentially of lifting a terror designation of the Iranian National Guard, of the uh, Revolutionary Guard, and some of the other uh, uh, things, the clauses that would go in this potential deal. 
it just goes to show you that the appetite for this is really waning and, again, just not a lot of coverage well, Talk of to it. us about who's negotiating for America. Russia. Okay. Underreported, please. Uh, put this under the category of things are so bad on Earth. Orbital Assembly, a company has now announced they're going to build a space hotel by Is 2025. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Truly air. <laughs> Way up in the air. But they say by 2027, they, they will have a hotel for 400 persons in the orbit of the Earth. But they think the first that will only accommodate about 28 could come as early as within two to three years. This is kind of remarkable. They're saying this is just the start. They're, they want to build office parks where people have a place to stay and work and leisure travel and business in space. But uh, it shouldn't be lost on anyone. All the billionaires are building rockets. They're trying to get off this planet right now. Something's wrong. Are you, have you made reservations? I, I, you know what? I did call Bezos. He said I was not welcomed on the ship. Uh, <laughs> Mitch. Uh, North Carolina was slated to fall in the National Educators Association, the big teachers unions ranking of teacher salaries until the NEA figured out they'd screwed up the numbers. Once they recalculated and set the revised number of the average pay of teachers at $54,863, it actually represented an increase for North Carolina up from 38th to 34th. It's still below the national average of $66,000 a year for a teacher. Now, of course, that doesn't factor in cost of living at all. And some are criticizing the fact that the NEA has numbers that are lower than the numbers that are actually put out by the state of North Carolina itself. But at least the NEA said it made a mistake, corrected the mistake, and showed North Carolina going up. Well, teacher pay, Joe, come up in the short session. I think pay for a lot of different public workers will come up. It's an election year. There's state a employees. Well, there's an abundance of riches. There's plenty of money. Most of it's one-time money, but it's an election year, so I think legislators will be looking where they might be able to raise pay for some group that they can then campaign on in Donna, do you agree with that? Um, I think so, yeah. At least a bonus. Yeah. A bonus. Yeah, at least yeah. a bonus. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Donna? Okay, up early voting. So far, it appears that in you know with early voting starting, we're almost double the number of people showing up for early in-person voting uh, than we were in 2018. Okay. My down? Yeah. Uh, small business and hiring. A new Goldman Sachs study shows that 90% of small businesses say that they are really having a difficult time hiring and keeping employees on the job. Donna, who's up and who's down this week, my friend? What's up is interest rates. The Fed taking an unprecedented step. First time in, I think, 20 years, I read, that they raised it by 0.5. Yeah. I mean, a half a percentage point. That's going to affect everything from auto loans, mortgages, credit cards. People are going to feel that. That's all to fight infl inflation. Uh, who's down is uh, Nina Turner. We talked about Ohio on the uh, Democratic side. This is a uh, congressional race where Nina Turner, she lost a special election, blamed evil money, tried again, lost by an even bigger margin to Chantel Brown. Interest rates will continue to go up, though, don't you think, this next year? They'll, they'll almost have to to fight the inflation. That's that's sort of the only recipe you got at this point. Joe, who's up and who's down this week? Who's up? Uh, stands, which is an expression that comes from an NNM song, the rapper, from 20 years ago. It breaks my heart to think that, God, that was 20 years ago. Your iPod is a lot different than mine. Yeah, that's right. yeah. He's but hip. In the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, the fan-obsessed American has become a feature of our culture, and I think that's going to translate as more celebrities seek to a public office. Their supporters will become like fan-obsessed celebrity trackers on the, on the cultural side. Who's down? Fat Fingers, a city group uh, 
a stock analyst made a mistake in placing an order, plunged the Swedish stock market eight percentage points before it was corrected. They call these fat finger errors where some trader makes a mistake, it causes it, but they were able to rectify it and everything was made cool. Mitch, who's up and who's down this week? I was going to do interest rates for my up, but instead I will say the North Carolina candidates who have Trump's endorsement, they're looking at Ohio and saying, hey, this is good news for us. I think uh, in a multi-candidate race where people really don't know who the candidates are. Who's the most problematic uh, endorsed Trump candidate? Cawthorn? Cawthorn, probably. I, I think in the 13th, Bo Hines has been seen as an interloper coming from Winston-Salem into a triangle district. But in a multi-candidate race where people really don't know who the people are, having that Trump endorsement is going to help. My down is Opportunity Scholarship opponents. Pair of orders from the State Court of Appeals this week blocked all activity, including discovery in that case. What had been happening was the lawyers there were going around and harassing all these private schools to find out what the religious what policies governor, were. What is Governor Cooper's position on Opportunity Scholarship? He's not a fan. He's tried to uh, get rid of them in the past. He signed the budget that expanded Opportunity Scholarship, but I think that was uh, under a bit of duress knowing it was already going to pass. Donna, headline next week? Uh, so starting next week, North Carolina state employees, at least those in the cabinet agencies that, re re uh, that are under the executive branch, uh, if they get a third booster, I believe, they get an extra day of vacation. If they decide not to get that third booster, they don't get the benefit. But they did say uh, that they're going to stop requiring unvaccinated employees in those cabinet agencies to test for COVID once a week. Jonah. Some new bombshell about Madison Cawthorn. Okay. <laughs> he can't get out of his own way. Headline next week. Another four and a half million Americans left their job last month. Employers are scrambling to figure out what benefits and salary considerations they need to offer to attract and retain workers. Headline next week. Committee looking into the future of North Carolina education. Here's from the public. Who's on that committee? It's a bipartisan? It is a bipartisan group. It's uh, led mainly by Representative John Torbett, who has been using this as a way to say, let's, let's step back and say, if we could invent this system out of whole cloth, what would we do? General Assembly comes back when? On the 18th, the day after the primary. Jonah, you have an announcement to make, my friend? Yes, it's been uh, five wonderful years on this program, but this is going to be my last appearance. Uh, I've been given an amazing opportunity to join a wonderful news organization. I can't really say much more than that otherwise, uh, but we are relocating, my family and I. Great time to sell a house, terrible time to buy one, uh, but I want to thank you all for everything. Thank you for enjoying our, our discussions here and the civility and just showing what a real American conversation can be like. Well, you were value added, and, and frankly, uh, we much enjoyed having you on. I know all, I speak for all Absolutely. of us. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll yeah. all miss you. Yeah. Okay, we've got a roll. Great job, team. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. See you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at PBSNC.org slash front row.